to join us for the 53rd meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Boreal by nature, not because I hate you, Mike. And I'm a peacock who really wants to strut her stuff, but she's just a drab peahen, so really, what's the point, Meredith? We meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So... Saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Hey, Meredith. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you, Mike? I'm pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah. Definitely feeling like I'm really getting into some frog energy right now with this sort of winter hibernation thing. Yeah. I wish I could just kind of suspend animation and dig into some mud at the bottom of a river and just kind of not do anything for the next few months and wake up the beautiful springtime weather. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I'm kind of having, I guess, similar vibes. I've just been manifesting a little bit differently. So as I've mentioned, I have a lot of weird animal dreams. So one this past week, there was a hummingbird that like captured onto my fingers and like wouldn't let them go. So I was looking up the meaning of hummingbirds in dreams and any birds, particularly hummingbirds or like little fast birds, mean like swiftness and impermanence. But there's also particularly pertaining to like hummingbirds that are flashy. It means like a desire to be noticeable and appreciated. And I think I just want a reason to like be out in the world and be appreciated and noticed. And I don't really have a lot of reasons for that. So for the same reason, probably that you just want to like hibernate. There's just not a lot going on right now. Like, what are we doing here? What's the point? (laughs) I don't know. Like simultaneously breathing easier and also not breathing easier. Quite literally. Yeah. It's just how weird it is. Yeah. So a little bit of animal nihilism this week, huh? (laughs) You know, some weeks are more positive than others. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's true. It's true. I've had a pretty good week in memes, Meredith. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's this one animal meme that I want to tell you about. And it was a dog meme. And it was one of those three panel ones. Uh Uh-huh. And so in the top, it shows this kind of excited, like, golden lab, golden retriever type. Uh Uh-huh dog excitedly answering the phone it says (laughs) hi i am dog and then the second panel is a different dog on the phone and that dog saying if i smell you on my owner again you better watch out (gasps) Uh oh and then the third panel is the first dog again on the phone but instead of making an excited the conversation starting face it's making a like oh no like (laughs) dork i would say a dorp face yeah which is different than a derp (laughs) A doggy doggy dorp face. Yeah, doggy dorp face. I love that. Yeah. I also, I need to pull this up so we can talk about it, but that meme you sent me, that chart, I had some things to say about this. How likely I am to pet something, okay? And so on like Y axis, axis, you have how likely it is to kill me. So like, you know, going further up on the Y axis, it's more likely to kill you. And then on the X axis is how cute it is. So the further away you get from the intersecting point between the two axes, it's like cuter and cuter. 
but I some of these I'm like I don't know about this like cuteness okay so how cute it is jellyfish is like right in the middle in cuteness I was like what the fuck and you think that the jellyfish is less cute it should be like on the opposite side of that y-axis as far as I'm concerned I'm not in oh it's like a negative yeah it's like negative cute I'm not into that. Whoa. Like, how is a squid going to rank so much lower behind a jellyfish? Yeah. I do kind of want to see their work. Like, what's the rating system? Yeah. And I would think a naked roll mat. A what? <laughs> naked, <laughs> naked roll mat. A naked, roll. A naked mole rat. <laughs> I think a naked... See, naked mole rat is less cute, according to this, than a Komodo dragon. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> naked roll mat is a good name for a yoga mat for naked mole rats. Or her just naked yoga in general. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, okay. I've seen stingrays on here. They are actually pretty cute. Yeah. I don't know. It's I know this is animal cuteness is very subjective, but I'm sorry. I do love that the cassowary is on here and up pretty. It's up pretty high on the most likely to kill me. <laughs> Yeah, that's really fun. Another good meme. Do you want to hear the New York Times crossword clue animal of the week? I do. Really, I'm going to have one of these every week. So today in the Sunday crossword, it was um, like otherwise known as the mud bug. I was like, I don't know what that is. Do you know what the mud bug is? No, I'm not familiar with that. It's the crawfish, crayfish, you know, those crustaceans. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a sensical name for that. Yeah, the mud bug. That's a very American, like Southern American English designation for something. Yeah. Oh, that's a mud bug. Mud bug. Mud bug. Yeah. So I just thought that was cute. It's not as fun as like carapace or hexapod as we've seen in previous weeks, but. Or decapod. Or decapod. Or palps. Yeah, palps. We like palps. So. Anyway, I'll I'll be sure to keep us updated. We can always do a little crossword corner because I always think it's funny to see how deep they go. Yeah. As far as like animal vocab terms that I'm like surprised outside of doing this podcast, I probably would not know these things. But then I also never really took anything beyond like a basic biology class because I went to music school. So <laughs> maybe sure. maybe like basic animal biology is not so foreign to most of the population as it is to us music nerds yeah that's fair well meredith i mean do you want to just get right into it and kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer i would love to right well ready okay taxonomy you taxonomy we taxonomy who taxonomy kingdom in amelia all creatures bright and beautiful phylum arthropoda i can do these two mike class Malacostraca, the largest class of crustaceans. Order. Isopoda, non-insect arthropods. Family. Armadillidaeidae, all the armadillidaeidae long. Genus. Armadillidium. We can't. Species. Armadillidium vulgare. Pick up a rock, see them rolling around, it's the pill bugs. Meredith, that was a journey, first of all. <laughs> I'm very Sorry excited to have our... <laughs> I'm very excited to have our isopod friends represented. Have we done isopods? I couldn't remember. We've done a lot of arthropods, I know, thanks to you. Yeah, lots of arthropods. No, I don't believe we have done an isopod yet. Okay. But they're very much on my radar because of that Facebook group 
that I'm in, crustacean memes for crabby friends. <laughs> isopods show up. And the isopod frequently shows up. Yeah. Oh. And then I went on a journey once to learn more about the isopod. And so I was researching like recipes for it because <laughs> I was like, well, what do you do with an isopod? How do you cook? Like as in the larger sea crustaceans, yeah. not the small pill bug. Right. And all of the recipes seem to kind of obscure the flavor of it. Like, it doesn't seem like it has a lot of, like, chutzpah. It's kind of like lobster, you know, like an expensive conduit for butter. Yes, my favorite. My favorite. That's how I feel about, um, like, cheesy potato casseroles. They're an ex- like a, a fancy, highly caloric conduit for hot sauce. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so this was fun, if only just for the the armadillo die day of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I just want to do pill bugs because I think it's like a, it's such a kid friendly bug. There's kind of this instant recognizable factor gratification of the pill bug because these are like AKA the roly polies, right? So, you know, you're like a kid out in your backyard or your whatever yard or just anywhere out in nature being the kid and you like lift up a rock and it's just, you see this swarm of these little brown grayish bugs and then you poke at one and then they kind of roll up and it's like that's so cool and they're also like they're not threatening they don't bite they don't really have they don't carry with them a lot of like creature baggage like spiders wood or scorpions sure like we don't really have any reason to fear the pill bug don't fear the pill bug (laughs) take one of my 14 hands don't fear the pill bug And I, you know, I was just tickled because I was like, I'm just going to go do the pill bug. And then I'm reading through its taxonomic rankings and all this stuff about armadillos comes up. And I'm just like, I can't. This is too cute because they roll up in defense mode, just like an armadillo does. Uh huh. An armadillo die does. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just quickly run through some tax facts. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this because, like we've mentioned, Mike loves his arthropod journey. So we've talked about a lot of this before. I do. We have. So real quick, phylum, arthropods, so invertebrates, they've got exoskeletons. They've got segmented bodies, yada, yada, yada. Then we move into class, Malacostraca, so the largest class of crustaceans. Because the crustaceans are a subphylum. Right. Right. Exactly. And so... This largest class of crustaceans is going to include superstars like, okay, we got to cue the music, like, okay, you keep going with that. I'm going to list these off. We've got crabs. We've got lobsters. We've got crayfish. Mud bugs. We've got shrimp. We've got krill. We've got mantis shrimps. And the stars of today, we've got the wood lice. Perfect. Yeah, I put a button on it. (laughs) So those, those are some of our crustacean superstars. And we all know they love their marine as well as terrestrial habitats. Um, And then we move into order, the isopoda, which is very exciting because we haven't done them yet. So this is going to be like wood lice and pals, wood lice and co. So these guys also, they live on land and water. And the main thing, a lot of the description of isopoda that I could find online just really just kind of overlapped with arthropoda. Malacostraca. So the main thing I found that really distinguishes the isopoda is that the females carry their broods 
in pouches on their ventral thorax. Right. Yeah. Right. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later when we get to pill bug family planning. So now we get, now it gets into the fun vocab. So the family, the Armadillidaeidae. And these are terrestrial crustaceans. And it's the only family in the order of isopoda that contains like these roly polies. So these are isopods that have this ability to exhibit this defensive mechanism of being able to kind of roll up in a ball as a defense. And they've got this kind of hard exoskeleton on the outside of them. And in that, they kind of like roll up and they look like a little ball, like a little pill. Uh-huh. Hence the name pill bug. Uh-huh. But some of their other AKAs include, and this is really fun. So I mentioned roly polies. We've also got slaters. Slaters, <laughs> like, like AC. Like AC. So these are pill bugs that wear like acid watch Z Cavaricis. They've got a nice little like jerry curl mullet for the star of the wrestling football every sports team they're like really yoked even though they're in high school every time they sit in a chair the chair is backwards they've got to sit backwards in the chair all that stuff here's my favorite nickname for the pill bug the doodle bug <laughs> the doodle bug the doodle bug wasn't there hold on wasn't the woodcock like another the timber doodle yeah the woodcock was known as the timber doodle and now here we are with the pill bug known as the doodle bug. Perfect. What's with all these doodles? <laughs> What's up with all these doodles? Yeah. Hey, I have a question. What's going on with all these doodles? What's the deal with these doodles? What's the deal What's the with deal? these doodles? <laughs> um, they're also known as leg pebbles, which I find a little icky. And then potato bugs, which I've also heard, but I'm not sure why they're called that. That's what we called them in Cleveland. Oh, really? Er, yeah, that was the, this is a regionalism thing. Yes. Because growing up, I always knew them as potato bugs. And then I heard them called roly-polies at some point with such confidence. And I remember it was one of those moments where I was like, but that's a potato bug. Right. You know? Yeah. And see, and on the other corner of the state, the southwest corner of the state, there are pill bugs. Right. So I love that. I'm sorry, Meredith. Did you already say like what their range is? I haven't, but we can. There's no reason to not talk about it right now. So they are, in fact, very cosmopolitan. So just picture them in a smart tweed suit mm-hmm. with hat boxes and just ready to board the plane and at any mm-hmm. moment and jet set around the world. Yeah, they're everywhere, but they are endemic to Europe, particularly the Mediterranean region. But they've just essentially kind of gotten a foothold all over the world including northeastern and southwestern Ohio, as it turns out. (laughs) Was this like a prehistoric migration or is this potentially a like through human transport like they came across on? Right. You know, I'm actually not entirely sure the answer to that question. But what it seemed to be through what I did read about it is that it was inspired, not inspired, but like triggered by human migration. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So interesting. It really is. Because, I mean, you can kind of imagine it if you're kind of digging up crops. Because they like to hang out in kind of damp, soily things. They're kind of... I could see them kind of becoming transplanted through the transplantation of, like, various plants to the New World. Sure, sure. Things like that. In bags of grains and seeds and things like that. And then throughout, I guess, as... Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. As crops are being spread yeah granted things are kept moist they have to be in like like a moist dark environment so yeah that is a very interesting question i'm sorry i don't have a more complete answer for you but that's okay yeah 
lines of inquiry, as we say. Yeah, we're opening them up. <laughs> okay, and so just quickly to round out the tax facts, we've got our genus Armadilladium, and I didn't really find any very specific things about that other than that there are 87 species within this genus, and then we get to our common pill bug, as we know it, the Armadilladium vulgare. That's one of those 178 species. So creature superlative alert, your bug animal hall of fame here. This is the most extensively investigated terrestrial isopod species. Give it up. Highly coveted, highly coveted. Wow. <laughs> highly contested. Everyone wants. Yeah, it's like the number one celebrity. It's like the Justin Bieber of isopods. Right? Like everyone wants this designation, but only the pill bug gets it. Yeah, good work, pill bug. So I kind of talked a little bit about what they look like, but, you know, we kind of know them. They're gray, brownish gray, really no longer than like three quarters of an inch. I kind of think about like my pinky nail. Minus this weird like coke nail I'm growing right now. Because like, why do I need to cut my fingernails? Where am I going? Yeah. What better time to start doing cocaine? (laughs) That's not what I said. I just have the tools for it. (laughs) (laughs) But if it were just like my nail bed, it's about like that size. So not very big at all. They've got seven segments and they do indeed kind of resemble the scoots like we talked about on the armadillo. So the scoots are kind of those segments that allow the armadillo to roll up in a little ball. But I will say that scoots is not a word that enters into discussions of pill bugs. Okay. They're just segments. But okay. it, they're scoot-like. And I wasn't the one that brought armadillos into this. Okay. So I'm just saying. They roll into a ball when they're disturbed. Like I said, they're going to be mainly nocturnal, found in dark places. So again, you lift up a rock, you lift up a log, you're going to see them scooting around down there. Just kind of feasting on this decaying plant material, leaves, roots, shoots, all that stuff. A pill bug eats, shoots, and leaves. Yes. Punctuation sentence. You know, it changes based on the punctuation. Yes. I love those things. Okay, we mentioned them being cosmopolitan and that they do need to have a moist environment to stay alive. And it's kind of, they're like one of these bugs where you're like, you look over and the cat is like, messing with something in the corner and you're like what do you have and you go over and it's just like a desiccated carcass of a pill bug (laughs) because they do get into the house but it's not really a hospitable environment for them and they're kind of treated as pests for that reason like they will kind of get in sometimes but really like i said they're not harmful they're not they're they're not gonna bite you they're not you know gonna bore into the wood of your foundation or anything like that it's not they're totally totally harmless so I couldn't really find any word on how doodle bugs doodle each other, but <laughs> getting into uh, the life cycle a little bit. So actually the eggs are carried in that brood pouch, which another creature crossover is called the marsupium. The marsupium? Like the marsupials carry their babies in a pouch. So the mommy will lay about one to three broods per year. And each brood will contain 100 to 200 eggs. So even after hatching, similar to our kangaroo friends, the babies will remain in the brood pouch for about two weeks. And they live off what is called marsupial fluid. Um, <laughs> is that like transmission fluid? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Transmission fluid from um, kangaroo milk. Mm. 
Yeah. Creature crossovers. So talking babies still. So their first molt comes about one day after leaving mommy. So that's like two weeks after they're born, after they are not living on marsupial fluid anymore. So they have their first molt, and this is where they gain their final and seventh segment. And then the second molt occurs. I don't have it written down when that occurs. But what happens in the second molt is that their final pair of legs appears. And so now they're kind of fully developed and they have their um, seven segments with one pair of legs on each segment. So we've got 14 legs in total. And they live one to three years, which is actually pretty good. That's pretty good for a little bug. Yeah, yeah. surprised by that. I'm constantly surprised by like the lifespan of these animals we just don't really think about that. I think they kind of, you know, without giving them much thought, they seem kind of inconsequential. But what was it like? The the um, snail could live like 13 years or more or something. It was like crazy. Yeah, I've been impressed by the lifespans of several animals. <laughs> Man, never ceases to amaze. I think that generally we think of insects as having the lifespans similar to like beetles and flies yeah. where much of the life cycle is spent in like a larval phase. Sure, sure. And then they go through these changes and then they become their final adult form and then they're only in that stage for a couple days or a month maybe yeah yeah that's a really good point for sure yeah like I did say they are they do have like kind of a little bit of a pest connotation because of the way they can kind of get into houses and stuff but ultimately um there was a study where it was shown that they're actually a very beneficial to the ecosystems in which they live in these soil environments because they increase the nutrients and take things out that are more harmful or more detrimental or debilitating to plant growth. So by kind of taking in, say, like decaying leaf matter or whatever, any of this decaying matter, they're taking carbon out of the soil and they're putting things in like that are good, like phosphorus and nitrogen and potassium. So they unsurprisingly actually do play a big role in keeping these soils rich and hospitable to new plants. Well, that's good. Yeah. And that is the pill bug. Meredith, that was a great presentation. Thank you so much. Aren't they fun? I've always really liked them. They're really fun. Again, they're not scary. They're just fun. And they're like, they've got great names like doodles and roly polies. Right. Yeah. No, I've always found them to be pretty fun. Yeah. Like as an outdoor kid. Sounds like I was an outdoor cat. Like as a kid that hung out a lot outside and like was always digging around in the dirt and stuff. Like you love them. They're like not gross, like worms. They're not slimy. Right. You don't have to worry about them biting you or anything like that. So I just think to me, they're like a charismatic bug. A charismatic microfauna. In my life. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, what a perfect time to take a break. Let's do it. Hey, Zesta. I didn't realize you'd be on today's gig. It's always fun to jam with another elephant shrew. Woo, 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 Pydor. Can't wait to wail. I see you brought your sax and guitar. Oh, yeah. I got some other stuff, too. Miscellaneous percussion, etc. I see you brought your usual drum set and that trusty five-string. Wait, what's that you're setting up, Zesta? Is that a new instrument? Oh, this? It's my new theremin. Oh, theremins are cool. Aren't those a bit tricky for us elephant shrews to play? 
That's not just any theremin, it's a custom-designed theremin for Afrotherians. Band Clubby, the new Brand Clubby subsidiary, is thrilled to announce a revolutionary new consumer opportunity. Afrotheremin. Theremins for Afrotherians. How smart of Brand Clubby to start acquiring properties in the expanding instruments for animals market. And Brand Clubby wouldn't invest in just any product. All models of Afrotheremin are MDOS certified and utilize a USB-D connection dongle that effortlessly interfaces with most of Brand Clubby's Creature Tech trademark personal technology interfaces. The Afrotheremin literally fits into my technology ecosystem and my musical ecosystem. It is a carbon neutral product, so it also fits into your natural ecosystem as well. I can't contain my excitement, Zesta! Let's get this kid going! Why don't you just take a free solo for a bit, Pytor? I'll finish patching in this Afro Theremin, and then we'll explore space and time together. Ishka Bibble. titled Hollywood Horse. We open on the long shot of the requisite desert vista of where God put the West, as they say, and where the European land rapers put you back. But you and the first people learned to thrive here side by side. But you never asked to be famous. You never really cared to be an icon. And you certainly never wanted bloated John Wayne on your back. Oh, but back to the action! Quick zoom in for the plan American. Oh, and would you just look at our hero? So rugged, so manly, big shiny star on his breast. Not a damn thought in his head besides the faint whistle of a lonesome song and the occasional tumbleweed thought of the Turner Doctrine. Of manifest dust. Oh, and the cold cut spread waiting for him at craft services. But for you, it's all the same. American history and Hollywood in bed together, immortalizing a frontier dream that tastes super bitter and metallic, just like that bit in your mouth. And now they yell, Cut! But cut what? History and film into a tight, pretty little story? edited nicely to show us how the Calvary's charged and the Indians fell. The Calvary's charged and the Indians died. Some skinny folk singer wrote that. He too wrote on your back. And yet another tired movie about Billy the Kid. You remember. You wanted him off your back too. This poem doesn't really have a title. Boom, boom, boom. Silence. Boom, boom, boom. Silence. 
I'm with Shirley. We were trying to get some food, but we can hear the thuds approaching. We freeze, trying not to be seen. Boom, boom, boom. Silence. The danger is close now. Shirley and I lock eyes, silently communicating our love for one another. Boom, boom, boom. Silence. Boom, boom, boom. Silence. I can see the danger now. It looms over Shirley. An arm raises. Thwack! Shirley's still alive. She's scurrying away, trying not to be caught. Thwack! She scurries left. Thwack! Thwack! She scurries right. Thwack! It's looking like she'll escape. Thwack! Shirley scurries no more. Smashed into pieces. The worst part? She doesn't even get to become food. The danger leaves without noticing me. I am safe and will live another day. I sneakily scurry home to regretfully inform Shirley's friends and family. Another day be in prey. Do snakes write sonnets? Quails, quatrains? We hope you found solace in our refrains. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. In Amelia, if you want to learn about trees, please leave. Philo. Cordata. Spines rule, yo. Class. Mammalia. Fuzzy furry cuties. Order. Monotremata, but these kinds have cloacas? Family. Ornithrocynidae, they lay eggs and have venom. Genus. Ornithorhynchus, and electroreceptors in their duck-like Species. bills. Anatilus, it's the platypus, the icon, the oddball, the cute, endearing, venomous spurs. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> oh! <laughs> we're doing it, yeah, we're doing the platypus, Meredith. I hope you're excited. I just have to tell you this real quick, and maybe this will just be the catalyst. Every time I go to Whole Foods, they have this big display of animal stuffed animals. And I have been eyeing the platypus for weeks because it is so cute. It looks nothing like a real platypus, but it's just adorable. And I'm, I, I think I just have to buy yeah. it. Don't tell nobody. Well, let's do let's do some tax facts real quick, Meredith. Kingdom Animalia, if you want to learn about trees, please leaf. <laughs> Phylum Cordata, Spines. Well done. Thank you. Class Mammalia, Fuzzy Furry Cutie. So we know all of that. Yes. This is where it gets weird. Right? The order monotremata. Yeah. So monotremes. The, there's placental mammals, there's marsupials, there's monotremes. Mm-hmm. The monotremata are mammals that lay eggs. Mm-hmm. And instead of having this sort of normal male and female genitalia, or I guess typical male and female genitalia of mammals, they have cloacas. That's so crazy yeah like birds or reptiles yeah the family ornith ornitho i'm definitely pronouncing this wrong but let's just break it down ornitho ornitho is bird-like right right and then rhine is nose yes so they have bird-like Yes. Noses. They have beaks. It's like a duck builds platypus, right? Yes. That's the family. And then there's only one extant species, the platypus. Right. There have been other species, including the giant platypus, which was about twice the size of a typical platypus. But I mean, we're talking about like, they're not 
huge. They're like the size of a small cat, maybe. Right. So a double-sized platypus that's twice as large as that is maybe the size of like a retriever, you know? Yeah. So we're not talking about megafauna, Mm -mm. you know? And we're familiar with this term, charismatic megafauna. So I would like to consider this sort of a awkward typical fauna, Yeah, I guess. They just kind of look silly. They're so, you know, so cute and so weird. They're really cute. They evolved flat tails like beavers. Uh huh. And beavers are, you know, new world creatures. Right. But the platypus will actually use their tail to grab things. They'll gather reeds and sticks and carry them behind them as they're assembling their dens, which I don't believe that's how beavers move things, but I might be mistaken. No. Wait, would that be considered prehensile then? I believe so. Okay. I believe so. I didn't encounter that term in my very limited platypus research. (sighs) They have just such a collection of unique features. The way that their body is structured, their legs don't really come out of the bottom. They come out of the sides. So they almost appear more like reptiles in terms of their locomotory action. Totally. Their feet have heavy webbing that actually extends beyond their fingertips, like past their claws. So they have these like super webbed hand things going on. Oh my gosh. They spend most of their time in water because their cute little stubby limbs are really not the best for moving around on land. Yeah, I would think. They have... I mean, there's just so much information. Platypus means flat foot, which is a deception because they aren't flat. They're webbed. (laughs) Right? Damn it. They live in freshwater, so inland waterways in Australia along the eastern coast down around to Tasmania. Okay. They have spurs. That jingle, jangle, jingle. (laughs) Do you know that Gene Autry tune? I don't know. Oh, God. It's great. I've got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really great. Both males and females are born with spurs. The females lose their spurs at about three months, but the males retain their spurs. Okay. So the primary purpose of the spurs is for male-on-male violence between platypi- well, platypuses. It's not platypi. It's platypuses. Okay. They fight for so-called mating rights and to impress the ladies. And so they will sting other males with their spurs. Oh, my gosh. It's like the elk horns. Yeah. Conflicting deets on the spur venom. Nat Geo claims it's a lethal dose. But I don't believe them. There was something so, like, shock and awe about the presentation of the Nat Geo video on this, where it was like, and if you get caught by a platypus, you will die. It was very like alarmist, satanic panic, you know? (laughs) I love that we've roped the humble platypus into the silliness that is the satanic panic. That's hilarious. So I watched this National Geographic video. I also watched a couple Danielle Dufault videos, who we love. Yes, we love her. And I want to mention that her videos, she doesn't write her videos. She hosts. Okay. They're written, shot, and produced and directed by Dylan Dubow and hosted by Daniel Dufault. Danielle Dubow. And, and Jess Keating. Yeah. Okay. Dylan Dubow and Danielle Dufault and Jess Keating. Got it. 
so Danielle was saying that the venom is not lethal to humans, but the pain has been described as excruciating and will oh. last for months oh and my also God. does not respond to morphine. Ooh. So Good don't <laughs> try and get stung by a platypus because it won't kill you because it's going to hurt for months and morphine won't help. You which might is wish you were dead. Ridiculous. Wait, I'm, I'm so sorry if you said this and I just missed it. Where are the spurs located on the feet? Yes, they're on like the hind legs. Okay, gotcha. They have an interesting hunting method where they will go underwater and they will close their eyes and their ears and they use electroreceptors that are in their beak, which is similar to the way that like sharks find their prey to find little crustaceans and things like hiding in the water. Uh-huh. And then they will snatch up their prey in their beak and they'll push it into their cheek pouches and they'll grind it up using bits of gravel that they ingest because they don't have any teeth. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just do a quick little recap. So yeah, yeah, they're yeah. mammals. <laughs> they have cloacas and they lay eggs. They have these yes. venomous side spurs. They have a duck bill, a duck, sh- a, a bill that is evocative of a duck bill, and it has electroreceptors like a shark, so that it can detect prey underwater and catch it and then grind it up in their cheek pouches because apparently they also have those and they <laughs> like that's where they keep their gravel so that they can grind it up because they don't have any teeth where they keep their rock collection yeah yeah <laughs> and they have prehensile beaver tails prehensile beaver tails like, yeah what? so i know i know all this is really getting uh, probably getting you a little excited to hear about their sort of romance and reproductive practices i can't even imagine not a lot on the romance aspect aside from this kind of competing for mates sort of male-on-male stingy violence (laughs) the intention with the spurs is it doesn't kill their opponent so they're not trying to kill one another they're just trying to like incapacitate the other platypus so then they can go mate and yada yada right they're really solitary. They only socialize for mating. Mm-hmm. After they mate, the mother will return to her den, and the gestation is four weeks or so. Okay. And then she lays two to three eggs, which hatch after about 10 days. So now, for about four months, they're unable to eat solid meals, and their mother does, in fact, produce milk. That is one mammal-like quality. But she doesn't have teats, so she just kind of secretes the milk out of her mammary glands, and it just kind of like drips down the front of her on her ventral surface, and the little kiddos, which are called poggles, just lap up the milk. So just imagine this strange platypus just being like, well, it's time to feed the kids, and just leaking milk, and then the little poggles come over, and they just go like, "Oh, they have a new catchphrase: When you don't got a teat, you secrete. <laughs> no teats, just secrete. No teats, just secrete. No teats, just secrete. Gross, Meredith. I don't really have any more information, honestly. What? Not to throw open the production barn doors, but I slept in a little bit and barely made our recording session today, so. I didn't have time this afternoon to review my material fully, but I don't know. I, what else can you say about the plot? I know. I was going to say like you wildly interesting. It's just like everything is just kind of dumbfounded. You know what I mean? Yeah. You picked a real uh, superstar here because 
one fact after the like one fact is crazier than the next. So yeah, it packs a punch, and you don't really have to like go into a lot of like crazy vocab or anything like that. It's like we can all get how nuts these animals are. It's so crazy. Like you know, I think when we originally started talking about this podcast and like listing off ideas for like segments and things something a segment we never did was evolutionary goof-em-ups right right <laughs> which i don't think right. we should do and i don't i wouldn't say this is a goof-em-up at all like i think that those pairing of words isn't quite fair sure i will say this is an evolutionary like wtf in the most adoring sentiment like i just i love them because it makes zero cents mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> definitely zero cents but it does make me uh want to do the other monotreme because i think there's only other one other one the echidna uh-huh it did talk about the echidna apparently the echidna has similar lactation practices <laughs> and you know what it also said is that there were more monotremes but as the marsupials kind of took over in australia they were largely eliminated. And one of the reasons why the platypus endures is because it's waterbound and marsupials can't go into water, apparently. Right. Right. The marsupial mob. Mm-hmm. Marsup mob. <laughs> and I will also say, my friend Jeremy posted on Facebook months ago something about our reptiles and birds monotremes. Because the term monotreme is distinguishing that these specific category of mammals have cloacas. That's the one whole monotreme sort of situation. Right. And so although reptiles and birds also have cloacas, they are not considered monotremes because monotremes is a specific collection of mammals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That are distinguished by their cloacas. (laughs) So if you're having like a question about this, if that's a thing that you're thinking like, does everything that have a cloaca Everything that has a cloaca is everything that has a cloaca, a monotreme. It's not. Only mammals are called monotremes, even though you could say that these other creatures share the defining characteristic of the monotreme group. Wow. This is like uncharted territory. I wish there were more monotremes to cover because they're so fun and they're so wacky. They're pretty fun. Yeah. I feel like this is an opportunity where we could really dip into extinct animals, you know? Sure. Yeah. I would be interested in that. If only just to establish some sort of like evolutionary trail, evolutionary snail slick here, because like I just don't, I don't really get where they're coming from. <laughs> yeah. Well, Australia. Maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, you know, home base for all the weirdo animals. God bless them. But yeah. Hey, lines of inquiry. Yeah. Always. Well, um, I guess this is a good time to take a break. There is. Whoa! Whoa, Gary! Where are you waddling off to in such a hurry? Hiya, Henry. Can't talk right now, or I'll be very late for my first day of work. Work? Like employment? Like a job? But you're a Canada goose. The only work you should be doing is honking uselessly at passersby or walking across a busy street very slowly. Well, that's just the thing, Henry. Times are tough for us birds, and I just felt like I should do my part as a productive member of the animal kingdom. And what part would that be? Honk! I told you I was going to be late for work, but if you must know, it's just like you said. I'm going to be honkering at passersby and walking across the street very slowly. 
But for what? Honk! Dang it, Henry. I'm going to be a certified goose crossing guard for the Duck Duck Goose Nursery at the corner of Aspen and Sedge Streets. Oh! So you're going to be helping all the little ducklings and goslings safely cross the streets. You know, I sure am glad to hear that. The intersection of Acorn and Sedge is notorious for traffic accidents. Honk! I know, Henry. That's why I'm doing it. But Gary, where did you hear about this job? The Beast of Burden job posting bulletin board was never put back up after Randy Ram knocked it over last spring. Henry, all you have to do is log on to the Brand Clubby web portal and navigate over to the new Helpful Hooves, Productive Paws, Beneficent Beaks, Caring Claws section for animal careers and see what jobs are posted. It couldn't be easier. Brand Clubby thinks of everything. Good day, Henry. But wait, do any of these jobs provide health benefits? What about vision and dental? Are we allowed to unionize? I said good day, Henry! Oats, spicy oats, winter, ginger, winter feedback, autumnal, winter feedback. We're in the feedback. Fall, winter, twenty twenty <laughs> feedback. I didn't think I smelled despair in there too. <laughs> well, we're definitely past the pumpkin spice. Yeah, like gross. The the fall feedback has like a few different sensations. Right now, we're in the November flavors, which are like cranberries and like stuffing yes, and like sage, turkey and things sage, sage sage yes we aren't quite in like the peppermint no yet. no that's, that's december but we're past pumpkin time right it's coming december's coming you want to get it yeah let's hit it yeah sveg from bismarck north dakota hey sveg sveg asks are myriapods well suited for fretted instruments whoa yeah i'm gonna just guess that sveg means to play fretted instruments yes and I guess the implication there is that, I mean, on a guitar, say, so for, okay, a fretted instrument would be like a guitar or an electric bass or something. Sure. Like they have little metal bands across the fingerboard so that when you push down on it, it helps with intonation, essentially. Right. I think the implication is that a myriapod would, like, humans really only have like four usable fingers for playing on the fretboard of a stringed instrument. Sure. But a myriapod with a myriad of pods... <laughs> Being centipedes and millipedes would like be able to push down like a variety of strings and maybe do things with the guitar we haven't even really imagined. Yeah, I mean, like, look out, Slash. Here comes Scorpionator Sam. And he can shred because he's got what, like, I don't know, a lot of fingers. Yeah. A myriad of <laughs> he's pods. He's got a myriad of pods. Listen, what I have to say is that I just feel like scale is important. I don't think that any extant myriapod could successfully like exert enough force to play a human scale guitar, say. That's true. Very good point. Certainly there are some prehistoric myriapods that would need a lar- even a larger instrument, you know, don't get me wrong. Terrifying. I guess that Sveg, I would need to see an instrument designed for the myriapod, but I would imagine that amongst myriapod musicians that they're now we're talking about the musical history of <laughs> arthropods. 
and the instruments that each have created. But I would think that they would have designed some sort of fretted instrument that they could play that maybe doesn't take the shape of a traditional fretted instrument with which we are currently familiar. Right. But would maybe better suit their myriad of pods. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think they are well suited for them, but it has to be instruments that were designed for their morphology. Exactly. Such as the theremin designed to be played by the elephant shrew. Right. The Afro theremin. Right. By Band Clubby. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe Band Clubby, if they haven't yet moved into the sector of myriapod fretted instruments could consider uh, expanding their business interests in that direction. For sure. It does make me wonder, though, like our notions of music obviously are completely founded upon what we are able to do with 10 fingers. Like how would music sound different if we had, say, 12 fingers or interesting 14 fingers? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Virtuosity would like be pumped up to 11 at least. Right. It's like in Gattaca when the guy has the extra finger, the pianist. Oh, is that it? I'm not familiar with it's Gattaca. A, oh, it's okay. It's about, you know, um, it's not Eurythmics. What's that other thing? <laughs> it's not the Eurythmics. <laughs> it's the thing where people um, like how it's it's like genetic destiny or whatever or like genetic programming eugenics or eugenics yes it's not the eugenics it's, <laughs> it's like maybe she's born with it it's not eurythmic it's eugenics oh god that's bad Ooh. yeah moving on <laughs> all right well a fish position fag is that Yes, as long as the fretted instruments are adapted for myriapod morphology. Right. Right. Ding, ding, ding. 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 Okay. Sally from Sacramento is wondering, do little cobras with lisps get made fun of in school? (laughs) I would say, like, I I mean, maybe, but maybe because they're... uh, It could be for any other number of things. We just can't assume that the lisp means the same thing for cobras that it does for humans which is to say it's not that we should be judging anybody with a lisp i'm just saying like maybe they're valued for their lisp sure that's fair maybe it indicates a better like sense of smell because they can flick their tongue faster like (laughs) my first impulse sally is to answer your question with simply one word and that is (laughs) yes But I have to say, Meredith, your answer has inspired me. I guess what we're doing is we're applying human expectations of, and even that, English expectations. Right. Like how you say words onto these creatures when we don't know their language. I don't know how cobras talk or what, like high cobra language is you know what is academic cobra language or what is like elocution for a cobra i don't know why would i know that sally yeah sally (laughs) so i guess i mean a fish position is like probably not because baby cobras aren't going to like stupid human school mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah probably not a fish position ding 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 All right, Michelle from Mississippi asks, are you more hashtag Team Toad or hashtag Frog Force? This is actually really hard. Um, 
No, I, I, I feel like I can't choose. I love them both. I want to play both sides. Oh, sure. That's fine. I'm, I mean, I know that I'm hashtag team toad. You think? Yeah. I don't have a really good defense of this. Like, I don't have like a strong, like, this is why inclination. But I guess I feel like toads are just a little bit more chill. I feel like frogs are kind of like the ones that are climbing trees and shit. And toads are the ones that are like, I think I'm actually just going to hang out on the ground. Yeah, I don't think there's like tree toads. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah, that's just the impression that I get is that like toads are just a little bit more chill and frogs are a little bit more like, like type A. Wow. It's like a yeah. classic type A type B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like frogs are just like trying to get into the limelight. They want to be in all the advertising for the rainforest. They're so implanted in our brains that when we're talking about toads, we're actually keep saying frogs like perfect example my cane toad presentation i kept calling them frogs and that's just not fair frogs are so strong in my mind but you know i I think i'm kind of with you mike i think i feel i'm more of a type a type b type toad team toad person sure sure all right wow brand clubby is a little bit more hashtag team toad a fish position position ding 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 croak 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 ribbit ribbit (laughs) Well, thanks, everybody. Keep the questions coming. AnimalFanClubPod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, especially if you're a toad. Ribbit, ribbit. (laughs) Have a great week in animals, and we'll see you soon. Timber Doodle. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal 